Grab your Bibles, if you will, and follow as I read once again from Matthew chapter 18, um, a parable, one of the parables that we're, we looked at at least the first half last week. We're going to look at the second half today. Um, Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, you follow in your copies as I read that parable. It starts like this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God This endures forever. Hey guys, some of you perhaps noticed that I included the Lord's Prayer in my morning pastoral prayer for the last two weeks, last week and this week. I did that for a reason. Um, There is a sense in which the Lord's Prayer uh, is a commentary, or at least one line of the commentary. This parable is a commentary on that one line from the Lord's Prayer. And I bet you know which line. It's the line that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, guys, um, last week we looked at this parable uh, through a particular lens. We, we sought to understand the, the first half of it in the, in the sense of vertical forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that uh, reconciles me to God and peace is established between me and God, which is, which is really, um, uh, it really has to do with the gospel. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the same parable, and we're going to look at it from a different perspective. We're going to look at it through um, the lens of horizontal forgiveness, which really has to do with the gospel. They both had to do with the gospel, and I hope that you'll see that um, by the time we're finished. So, um, horizontal forgiveness. What is that? Well, folks, very simply, it, it has to do with our forgiving each other, uh, forgiving one another. We, we Christians, we invariably dent each other's bumpers, both 
both literally and figuratively. So um, what does this parable have to say about those inevitable offenses? You know, the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters, he, um, he includes this exhortation. He says, um, bear with one another. And the reason that he put that in there is because he realized that there were going to be situations with which we must bear with one another. Gang, there is a sense in which Christianity is all about relationship repair. Um, a, a, a divine relationship repair, but also about human relationships. They're constantly in need of repair. So this, this parable gives us some, some insight as to um, what we are to do about those inevitable offenses, how we are to handle those. You know, Peter um, asked that very question. That was what he was, that was, that was his concern in verses 21 and 22. He wanted to know how to deal with this horizontal business. And he's feeling pretty good about himself because he, um, he suggested that seven times I ought to forgive, which is really to more than double the Jewish tradition, which was three times. But what we're going to find out as we look at this parable is that this, um, this is not a question that can be solved via math. Jesus replies to Peter by telling him that Christianity stands for no limits to forgiveness. Unlimited forgiveness. That reply, of course, sucked all the air out of the room. And then he tells the parable that begins in verse 23. Now, guys, we, as I said, we've already looked at the first half. We looked at that last week. The second half of this parable grows out of and is attached to the first half. And, and it is the part that brings the rubber in contact with the road. <laughs> Guys, um, church folk uh, love to insist that their preacher give them something that's practical. Well, here you go. This is so practical. That it makes you uncomfortable. There is nothing more practical than forgiveness. And if you don't understand that, it's probably because you're not married. <laughs> Guys, I want to look at the, the, um, the parable in, in three headings. First of all, a, a, a simple story. Secondly, a very complex demand. And then thirdly, a, a very... A very disturbing close. We'll look at those three things. First of all, let's, um, let's take a look at the simple story. You can see what happened in the parable. It's not complicated. Uh, the forgiven man, we're going to call him debtor number one. Debtor number one turns right around, having been forgiven by the king. He turns right around, seizes somebody. He owes him a few bucks and then refuses to give to debtor number two um, what he had just gotten from the king which we would all agree is very bad. But if you look at it more closely, it gets worse. Let me show you. First of all, um, uh, he, he is dealing with the fellow servant. He's not, he's not a king dealing with a subject. He's dealing with a fellow servant. It's a doulos on doulos. I told you last week what a doulos is. 
This is mano a mano. This is not a king or a servant uh, answering to a king. This is a, 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 a peer that he's dealing with. And not only that, he owed 15 billion and he's asking for 15 bucks. The sin against him, debtor number one, is, is so infinitesimally small compared to the sin that his sin against the king. The king allowed him a moment to explain his situation. This guy, debtor number one, he doesn't permit any explanation. Debtor number two uses the exact same language that he did when he appeared before the king. All he asks for is time. But debtor number one demands immediate payment. Um, the, um, The kindness that debtor number one had received earlier seems to have made him more cruel, if anything. Um, he, uh, he, he has no conviction of his previous sin. The guy uh, once was a debtor, but now, in his reaction to this fellow servant, he's a downright criminal. All this gets reported back to the king, um, which brings us to the point of the parable. The point's in verse 33. It's in the form of a question, and let me... Let me read you the question. The king says or asks, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Ouch. Busted. Guys, if I am forgiven by God vertically... One of the clear evidences that I am forgiven is my willingness, my readiness, my ability to forgive those who have offended me in a far smaller way than I have offended God. That's the point of the parable, guys. Our forgiveness horizontally is an evidence. It's a result of our being forgiven. Um, it, it It is not an option God commands it. We're not left to wonder how to forgive or whom to forgive or when to forgive or how often. We're told. Um, Which brings us to the very complex demand of this forgiveness business. Now, folks, first of all, let me say, um, by no means am I suggesting to you that forgiveness is easy or popular. It is neither. I'll tell you what's popular. Vengeance is popular. Uh, that's, that, that, that is much easier than forgiving. Um, I, I, I read, stumbled across a quote from uh, a king of France. It was Louis the, the, the 12th, and he said, which I thought was kind of funny, he says, there is nothing that smells so sweet as the dead body of my enemy. Well, that's easy. That comes naturally. Forgiveness, um, it, 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 it's foreign to our nature. And it's difficult. It's difficult for we people who, who claim to have been forgiven. You know, you want to hear one of my fantasies? I bet you'll, you'll listen now. You want to hear one of my fantasies? Here it is. I'm a biker. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a serious biker, but I, I ride my bicycle at least once a week. And I always ride in the bike lane. I hug that curb in as closely as I can get, uh, so, unless I... 
So I can't, well, I get as close to that thing as I can get because I watch drivers pass me and they're on their phones and they're texting away and they're talking and, and they swerve into the bike lane. And I'm thinking, you know, one of these days I'm going to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And one of these drivers is going to run over me and maim this beautiful body. (laughs) And you know what? I'm going to be asked to forgive. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is this is not easy. It's not easy for us believers. Um, It's a difficult thing, but what makes it even more difficult is that I don't think we fully understand it, which is really reflected, uh, I think, in Peter's question. So what I want to do with our time, or at least uh, a lot of it, is that I want to uh, try to clear up some of the, 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 the foggier issues that surround this thing uh, called horizontal forgiveness. All right. Here's the first one. Ladies and gentlemen, you must first realize that refusing to forgive is a very horrible sin. <laughs> um, in the first half of the parable, the debtor number one was just a debtor. But over here, after he refuses to forgive another debtor, He's called wicked. He's not called wicked in the first half. He's called wicked in the second half. To refuse mercy is to make me wicked. So wicked, in fact, that it most likely indicates that I'm not a believer myself. Gang, we cannot refuse to forgive and then claim to be forgiven by God. Folks, um, this, this debtor number one thought that mercy was a good idea as long as he was the obje- object of it. But failing to forgive meant that he really, all he really wanted the, from the king is to escape his punishment. The king, what he did for me, I could care less. I want my 15 bucks. A- another reason that this is such a horrible thing, that is a horrible sin, is because you know this to be true. That the one whose life gets ruined is the one who fails to forgive because I get captured. I become imprisoned in my own bitterness and refusal to forgive. And this is not a small thing we're talking about. It's a big thing. Secondly, to suggest a limit to my forgiving, like Peter did, or Peter was trying to do, is to imply that I have some right to hold a grudge which is legitimately mine. What what Peter is suggesting is something like this. Okay, I'll forgive him seven times, but after that, I am going to exercise my inalienable right to hate your guts, to wish you were dead. Gang, this parable is not an invitation by God to give up a right I don't have any rights before this king. Having as a Christian received forgiveness, I am duty bound to show it. But if you want to press this issue about rights, your rights to demand justice. Justice is just what you might get. Can I give you a piece of advice, my friend? Don't ever ask for justice. Don't ever ask for justice. You might just get it. Thirdly, um, 
Guys, the Bible never commands us to forgive and forget. This is not about memory erasure. But it does require us that that we never use the offense against the offender, which is absolutely critical in a marriage. You know, I will go so far as to say, you show me a couple who knows how to forgive, and I'll show you a couple that can make it. Just because I remember what she did to me doesn't necessarily mean that I haven't forgiven. But if I use it against her, that means that I haven't forgiven. It, the memory may still be lodged up there somewhere, but to use it against her is something that forgiveness will not permit. Fourthly, and here's where things get really difficult. Gang, the Bible never mentions feelings of forgiveness. Um, we, it, very often, if we choose to obey, better feelings do replace the bad feelings. But it, it never mentions feelings of forgiveness. Guys, forgiveness is granted long before it is felt. Forgiveness precedes. Uh, I may feel it later. I grant it long before that. What it means is that I am choosing to pay for the offense myself. Guys, forgiveness always costs the forgiver. Let me give you an example. Um, You come over to my house and you, in a moment of horseplay, break my television set. And you've been out of work for a while. And, and so uh, you say to me, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll pay you back. I'll replace it. And I say, that's all right. It's okay. No, don't worry about it. I have forgiven, but I still got a broken television. It's got to be replaced or fixed. Let me give you a better example. Jesus Christ is hanging from a cross and saying, Father, forgive them. Yeah, the forgiveness to me, to the one forgiven, is free. But it costs. It costs the one doing the forgiving. Gang, what I am doing in granting forgiveness is that I am giving up my right to expect repayment from you. Forgiveness is, is painful because I'm, I'm absorbing the debt myself. So I grant that long before I feel it. Okay, okay. How do I do that? I'm going to tell you how, ladies and gentlemen, and I want you to see it. If you've still got your Bibles open, I want you to find two books of the Bible. We're going to read one verse out of each. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and I want you to find a few pages further, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. I want to read you one verse out of Colossians 3, and I'd love for you to look at it. Um, If you don't own a Bible, go back to our lost and found and take what you like. 
They've been back there for years. Just take you one. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. 313 says this, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Now run up to um, Ephesians 4. Same statement, kind of. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, guys, there's a lot of words that are similar in those two verses. But the one that I draw your attention to is the shortest one. It is the word as he says, Paul says to the Colossians and the Ephesians, forgive one another as forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you in order to find out how to forgive. Ladies and gentlemen, I must study God's forgiveness of me. Um, if it's, um, It's free to the receiver, but it's very costly to the giver. To call you to forgive as is to call you to the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. I am saying that to understand how I am to forgive, what I should start doing is to study how I have been forgiven. That's exactly how this parable is arranged. It starts by telling us, do you know of what you have been forgiven? In light of that, go forgive as you've been forgiven, which is exactly what we're told in verse 33. Uh, Have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. I am to forgive As I have been forgiven. Well, how was I forgiven? You can find that out. By studying what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf in our place. Now, guys, there are two hindrances to our doing that. Two things that seem to stop us. The first thing is our own sense of our own superiority. That is, I think I'm better than you. And, and it shows up when statements like this, well, well, I would never do that. Oh, really? Well, Dr. Young, he lied to me. Well, what are you saying to me? Are you saying that you have never lied? Have you never swerved into the bike lane? Call it an absence of humility. Call it an air of superiority. Call it what you like. But this spirit that I am, I would never do something like that. Oh, oh, I lied. But there were extenuating circumstances when I lied. Oh, there always are. To explain what I've done. The other thing that hinders us from forgiving, ladies and gentlemen is our failure to to understand and see the enormity of our debt to this king. Guys, that's why the parable is arranged the way it is. It starts by pointing you in the direction of your own debt. And in light of that debt being forgiven, it then says... 
I want you to forgive people who offended you too. You see, guys, being unforgiving is only done by people who don't know their own debt. Can, can, can I read you just one verse? Don't, don't turn here. Um, it's in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And Paul says this. For we ourselves were once foolish. Well, you better believe it. Disobedient. Mm-hmm. Led astray. Yes, sir. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. You bet. Passing our days in malice and envy. Yes, sir. Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Ladies and gentlemen, have you forgotten? Did you forget that we were once were foolish and disobedient and slaves to various passions and pleasures? Have you forgotten that? King, when we are overwhelmed with the staggering debt that we owe to God, then we find that, that forgiving somebody else still hard but it's an obligation and it becomes more possible my friends to tell you to know your debt is to tell you to know the gospel because we forgive as we have been forgiven consequently Horizontal forgiveness grows out of vertical forgiveness. Gang, the only sure proof of a person's having received God's forgiveness is a changed life. It's a transformed heart. So, there you go. That's how. Guys, who... Who has a right, who has more of a right to hold a grudge than does God? But here's the good news. He doesn't. And knowing that is supposed to make me better at forgiving you. Now, guys, I'm not sure we got time to do this, but I'm going to try to squeeze it in here. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a side of me that wishes that the parable ended at verse 33. It doesn't. It adds verses 34 and 35, which is a very sober closing to this parable. Um, you know, as biting as is the question in verse 33, what's stated in verse 34 and 35 is harder. You know, I, I, I told you earlier that, that the, failing to forgive is a horrible sin. Here's just how horrible. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, I wish the parable was over at 33. It's not. Jesus closes with some very disturbing words. 
They're disturbing because one of the things they say is that he who is so prone to greatly forgive can also greatly punish. They're disturbing because are, are they teaching somehow a, a salvation by forgiveness? That is, I'm saved by my forgiving? Um, is, there, is it teaching some kind of, um, once a man is saved, he can be lost because of future sins? Rome thinks so, and they developed the whole doctrine of purgatory out of this. Guys, the idea here is not that by our act of forgiving others, we somehow earn the Father's forgiveness. The idea is that by our forgiving others, we demonstrate how God's forgiveness has overwhelmed us and has captured our hearts such that we extend more successfully forgiveness to those who have offended us. The debtor goes to hell not because he failed to do a righteous deed. He goes to hell because his failure to do a righteous deed simply proved that his heart had not been changed before the king. If we do not forgive, it simply demonstrates that we do not understand a gospel that offers forgiveness to people with a big old debt. The point here, guys, is that there is this unbreakable connection between God's forgiving me and my forgiving you. You know, there's a lot of ways to illustrate this. Literature is full of this theme. Uh, movies, um, uh, novels. I, I guess the, the novels that come to my mind very quickly are, are Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. That you've, you've seen that or at least read the book about uh, Jean Valjean who's forgiven for stealing the candlesticks by the priest. And he goes on to have a changed life. And there's Javert who chases him down and couldn't understand forgiveness and ultimately kills himself. Compare that novel with uh, Alexander Dumas's um, The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, they, both of them have been made into movies. But there's, there's the hero is Dantes who is sent to prison wrongfully and he loses his lovely fiance Mercedes. And, and he, in prison he meets a priest and the priest tells him about a, a big fortune on the Isle of Monte Cristo. The priest dies. Uh, uh, Dantes gets into his body bag and they throw him into the ocean. He, he gets out and he finds the Isle of Monte Cristo and he finds the big fortune. And then he uses the fortune to go inflict vengeance on those who had done him so wrongly. But, but the story that, that appeals to me more, maybe because I'm a southern boy, um, uh, a southern Christian, are stories that come out of the Civil War. Um, you know at Appomattox when um, Lee surrendered to Grant, Lincoln had instructed Grant, to be very merciful on his defeated foe. And he was. You know, gave him his horse, gave him the Lee's army their horses and their rifles. Um, it, it is said that outside, while Lee was surrendering to Grant, that a, a, a particular Southern uh, officer spoke to Joshua Chamberlain. If you don't know the name Joshua Chamberlain, he's one of the heroes of Gettysburg, which we just celebrated last week. Um, and he was quite a Christian. He's written a book entitled In the Wings of Providence or something. It's a good book and I've, I've read it. But it is said that one of the uh, southern uh, generals said to um, 
Joshua Chamberlain, he said this, you may forgive us, but we won't be forgiven. There is a rancor in our hearts, which you little dream of. We hate you, sir. Whoa. Wouldn't you like to be married to him? But, um, you know, the, 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 the Ken Burns series on the Civil War came out about 15 years ago, I guess. I, I was first told about it by Larry Higginbotham, and I've enjoyed it three or four times since. It's, it's spectacular. And it's won all kinds of awards. And, and after it won all these awards, they wrote a book as a companion to the, to the film series, which I have. And in the book, um, they, they give you all these letters that were sent in to people who had viewed the Civil War series. I want to read you one of those letters. It's written by an, uh, a black man, an African-American, who had just watched the Civil War series by Ken Burns. And he, he writes to Ken Burns and says this. Again, I am watching the Civil War, enthralled, inspired, heartbroken. So much to think about, so much to feel. The eloquence of ordinary people resounds, it humbles me. Such dignity in the archival faces of my people who were enslaved, but who never surrendered their souls to slavery. I hear the Southerners who not only kept my ancestors in bondage, but fought to the death to do so, and I hate them for that. And then the choir sings, the choir in the movie series. And then the choir sings, Do you, do you, do you want your freedom? A good question, for we are not yet truly free, none of us. To achieve that, White America must abandon its racial conceits, and I must abandon my hate. They must change, and I must forgive for both of us to be free. Lincoln was right. Malice toward none. Charity for all. So at the end, I wonder... Does my white counterpart hearing that choir realize that that final question is meant for both of us? Do you? Do you? Do you want your freedom? I know what my answer is. I will wait for his. Well, my friend. Do you? Do you? Do you want your freedom? You know what that's going to mean, don't you? It means that you've got to forgive. My dear friend, Let it go. In the light of what we have been forgiven. Let it go.
Heavenly Father, forgive us that we've held on to grudges for far too long. And it has ruined our marriages, it's wrecked our homes, it's wrecked our health. And I pray that you will use this parable to remind us that our failure to forgive is a horrible sin. It's not only horrible in heaven, it's horrible because it is ruining us for our failure to forgive. And I pray, Lord, that you will um, use the gospel reminding us of its beauty to enable us to be better at this. To enable us to do what we know what we must do so that we can be set free. Heavenly Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, the one whose, whose death meant that our debt was paid, if they've never met him, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, reveal him in all of his saving beauty to the, to the eyes of their soul? Do it, Father. Do it for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.